0: It's a pleasure to to be here with you all this morning. Thank you for the welcome. There are a lot of greeters, I noticed, yeah, so (laughs) that's neat, though. And I got to know Terry a little more this past week. We had lunch together and uh, got me all this food, and he ate some lettuce, I think, you know. But uh, he's a great guy, and um, this Church Without Shoes thing, this network of churches coming together, in uh, relationship and, and service is just a special thing. It's been really a lifesaver for me. It's where I draw a lot of life. And so, Terry, you know, being here 21 years, that's pretty rare. And so, he's blessed with you all. He, he loves you all very much, so much. And I think you all are, are blessed with him a, a, as well. So, and, and, and visitors, uh, I'm not coming back, so don't worry. You could come on back. You know, so, Terry will be here <laughs> next week. Um, Well, let's, uh, you know, there was a a guy, one of the ancient uh, church fathers, authors, uh, about 300 AD, he's a guy named Marcus Felix, and he wrote that about Christians, saying, Christians, um, they love one another almost before they meet one another. And uh, it's so true because, you know, as a a follower of Jesus, as, as Christians, anywhere we go, you know, in a sense, we're home. With brothers and sisters, and so I feel that this morning, I feel like even though I, I I don't know Creekside very well, I've heard some things about you. I feel like I'm home, and so that's a special thing that we have this extended family of Jesus that that extends uh, through the, the the town community and to the ends of the the world. So, in that spirit, uh, Church Without Shoes came, and in, in that spirit, I'm I'm here to share with you and and thank you for your hospitality. Let's want to read, we're going to be looking at John 13 and um, verses 1 through 17. I'll read a portion right now. You can listen or I don't know if it's on the screen or open your Bibles if you'd like. So John 13, 1 through 17. This is the NIV, New International Version. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. You have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Well, let me just set a little bit of, of, of context uh, to this passage because um, we're jumping in kind of in the middle of, of John here. It, in, in the story, uh, Jesus is uh, coming up against his crucifixion. In fact, the very next day, he'd be hanging dead on the cross. In the chapter before this chapter, chapter 12, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a, a donkey, and he's, in a sense, in doing that, he's pointing to himself that he is the fulfillment, that he is the true king of Israel, in a sense, making one last plea to, to Jerusalem to receive its, its true king. So he's been in the public eye, and there's been all kinds of hysteria and, and chaos about this person, Jesus, who's come into Jerusalem. But now, in our text, Jesus leaves the crowds leaves the public eye, and he's going to come in really close with his disciples for several chapters at this last meal that he shares with them. He has some things to teach them, and so he wants them to gather in close with him. And he's going to teach them uh, some things that uh, he wants to go very deep into their hearts because he'll be leaving them very shortly. They don't know that right then, but the next day he'd be gone. The evening meal... Is being served. And uh, Judas, we're told, is already under the authority of the devil, and he's scheming in his heart, Jesus knows this, to, to betray Jesus, to hand him over. But even so, uh, Jesus is in control of the situation. Even though events are unraveling, which will lead to his crucifixion, Jesus is very much in control. He knows who he is. And He knows where he's going. He knows that the Father has put all things under his power. And all of of heaven and earth being put under Jesus' uh, authority and power, he does something really amazing with that authority and power, something that we might not do if we had that kind of level of authority and and, and power. And it's rather shocking. He, He gets up from the meal that they're having, and, and he takes off his, his outer clothing, his, his outer cloak, and he wraps a towel around his, his waist, and, and he pours water into a, a basin, and, and he begins to go to each disciple and, and to wash their feet with that towel wrapped around his waist, and then in turn drying each of their, their feet. Now, Foot washing, one of the reasons this is such a crazy and shocking thing to do is that foot washing was dirty and and menial work. It it was the work of a household servant at the time. And and normally when, you know, um, when they had guests, when people had people over to their homes for a dinner, uh, they would have a servant wash the guest's feet right as they arrived, you know, kind of the welcome mat into the time of fellowship. But this band of disciples, they don't have a servant. You know, they've been traveling around. They don't have a, a servant uh, to wash their feet. Their feet have not been washed. And so Jesus gets up, and he takes on this task. task. But he, he does it at an interesting time. He doesn't do it right when, you know, they come into the, uh, to the room, evidently the upper room. He does it right as the meal's being served, which was kind of an awkward time to do it. And I, I think he's drawing attention to what he's doing. He wants it to be um, this impression that he's giving them to go very deep in, into their hearts. He wants to have a reaction, make an impression with it, and, and indeed it does. And we see Peter's reaction when he comes to Peter. Peter, you've got to love Peter. He's always kind of, you know, just speaking things right as they come into his mind without any kind of frontal lobe filter, you know. And so he just, you know... No way are you going to wash my feet, Jesus. You're not going to be my servant. And Peter wants to be Jesus' servant. Peter wants to, to serve Jesus. He's not going to let Jesus serve him. Peter says, you shall never, you shall never wash my feet. And, and Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So Peter, maybe he scratches his head. Well, he doesn't want to be left out you know, from the fellowship. He wants to. So, okay, he swings to the other extreme. Okay, don't even wash, not only just my feet, but, you know, everything. My my head, my hands, wash the whole thing. And so, Peter is not understanding what Jesus is doing here. It's obvious. Jesus is not simply washing dirty feet. Jesus is acting out in a sense, what he's going to be doing in the following hours. How he will go well beyond serving them by washing dirty feet. In the next hours, he will be serving these disciples and and all of those who call on his name like no one has ever served another person. Jesus will not only strip off his outer cloak and lay it down, he will lay down his life. If you remember the good shepherd passage, it's the same language. Uh, the good shepherd lays down his life. Same, same Greek word here to lay down his cloak. He will lay down his life as he offers him himself on the cross. He will die for them. He will die, and in so doing, he will wash them. He will wash them of their sin. So Jesus is enacting this washing this cleansing that will come to them and all those us who who will call on his name a cleansing from his shed blood jesus will serve them in this way and if peter or anyone else is not willing to receive this grace this humble service they or, or we have no part with him Now, it is hard, think of the disciples gathered, how long it would have taken Jesus to go through and wash each of the feet. Now, this is their rabbi. This is the one who's revealed God to them. And this was very hard for them, We, we hear it from Peter, to receive this humble service from the Lord. It's hard to receive this radical grace in our lives as well, but we must. If we don't receive that from the Lord, we have no part with him. This washing reminds me of a story that I I read, a story by uh, Barbara Brown Taylor, and uh, she's a a pastor and an an author, and uh, she writes about her grandmother, you know, growing up in in Georgia. This grandma, evidently, Barbara Brown Taylor says, was a real character. Uh, She ran a boarding house uh, on Main Street in College Park, Georgia, a very self-assured woman you know, shrewd business uh, woman with a bad temper, really kind of a short fuse. And, and so because of those things, she, she uh, earned a great deal of respect for people. You didn't mess with, with grandma. And uh, in, in later years, of Bar- Taylor writes that she was this awesome presence to any kind of child who, who would see her. She wore these, um, or she, uh, she lost both of her legs, because of diabetes, and she refused to receive treatment. She was a stubborn woman, and so she rolled around in a wheelchair with these two wooden legs propped up in front of her, and she she wore, you know, black or uh, aviator sunglasses. Like she was this, you know, imagine a child looking at like this handicapped bomber pilot kind of <laughs> person, you know. And, and so people really respected her. Uh, now, with her three grandchildren, this woman this grandma was as gentle as a snowflake she loved her grandchildren now Barbara little Barbara growing up you know knowing grandma knew absolutely certain that she was loved by grandma when the when the grandkids visited there'd be closets of presents and you know they were pampered like crazy maybe this reminds you of some of your grandmothers or grandfathers but uh, her best gifts were her baths bath time with grandma. Now I want to read you just a little short uh, few sentences about bath time with grandma. This is Taylor writing about what it was like to have grandma give her a bath. When my night came, she treated me like long lost royalty, filling the tub with suds and then beckoning me in where she washed each of my limbs in turn and polished my skin with her great soft sponge. After she had dried me off, I lay down for the next part of the ritual. First, she anointed me with Durian's lotion, starting with my neck and and finishing up with the soles of my feet. Then she reached for her dusting powder, evening in Paris. Now, I don't don't know what evening in Paris is. I don't know. Do we still have this? You go buy some and dusting. I don't know. I didn't know that you're supposed to dust yourself after a bath, but one of the finer things in life, evidently. So evening in Paris, and and she tickled me all over with the pale blue puff. When she had done, I knew I was precious. I was absolutely convinced I was loved, and nothing that has happened since, not even her death, has shaken that conviction. Now, that's the kind of thorough washing that Jesus does for us. And he he does it because he wants us to know that we are thoroughly and absolutely loved. And he was wanting his disciples to know that because he'd be gone the next day. And he wanted them to remember how much he loved them and how much he loves us. He wants to serve us in this washing kind of way. And as we let Jesus wash us this way, serve us in this way, we are baptized, we're washed into a whole new life, a whole new reality, a whole new family, the family of Jesus, one where one of the the family values posted on the door when you come into the family is foot washing. And when we enter into this new family, we, we lay down our pride of position, our, our selfish concern about ourselves, and like an outer cloak, we, we lay it down at the door and we wash feet. Jesus puts it this way. I just want to read verses 12 through 17. Jesus continues here. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. In other words, if our teacher, our, our rabbi, our teacher and Lord washes our feet, we are under this obligation to wash one another's feet as well. We're not above our master in this. Often uh, we, we really admire that kind of humble, humble service, that kind of grace. And, and even when we read about this passage, you know, in a fresh way, it, it sometimes bring a, brings a hush uh, in, in the quietness of our hearts, or maybe even tears to think about how Jesus loves his own so very much that he would stoop to the level of a, a slave to do that. But, but he doesn't leave us at that kind of observation standpoint, that, that kind of um, spectator. Vista, he, he, he calls us right in to be participants in that foot washing. He calls us to do it. And he says that when we do that for each other, and he's talking about Christians here for, for each other, that there is blessing, that there is blessing when we do it. And, and I was starting to think about what kind of uh, blessing is that, that when we wash one another's feet, um, what's the blessing that we experience? And I think the blessing is in... By doing what the Lord does, the kind of thing the Lord does for us, that we, we have a nearness to God that we may not experience unless we do that. William Barclay writes that the closer that we come to, to serving one another's needs, washing dirty feet for each other, the nearer we come to the Lord. And he, and he uses this really neat illustration to kind of show us that. If you've heard about St. Francis... You know, Saint Francis the the um, uh, you know he used to uh, preach to the birds. You know, and a very simple heart. And uh, we still have Franciscan uh, the monastic order still today. But uh, Saint Francis was uh, in the early days. He was very wealthy, very rich guy. Nothing but the best was good enough for him, and he was this aristocrat, an aristocrat of the aristocrats and. But he was ill at ease in his life. He didn't have that sense of, of fulfillment and, and peace. There was no peace in his soul. And one day, the legend is that he was riding alone outside the city gates. And he was riding along, and he saw this leper. And the leper was covered in sores, a horrible sight, you know. And ordinarily, Francis was almost OCD with cleanliness, you know, um, I, I, maybe I'm exaggerating, but he was fastidious is the language of the, the quote, but uh, concerned about getting dirty and not, you know, messing up, uh, kind of coming into contact with the, the unclean. And, and, and Francis recoiled in horror when he saw this leper on the path, but, but something moved uh, from inside of him, and he jumped off his horse for some reason, and he, and he ran up to the leper, and he just threw his arms Around the leper, and the legend is that as he embraced the leper, he turned into the figure, the person of of Jesus. And I think that's just this special illustration that as we come close to each other's need, that we actually come close to Jesus himself. And that's, I think, the blessing that Jesus is talking about. About here. As we get close to one another and serving one another, we experience Jesus in a deeper way. Just as Jesus demonstrated what he was about to accomplish on the cross, kind of a parable in action, enacting what he would do upon the cross, the kind of cleansing that he would uh, make effective in our hearts on the cross, our lives are meant to point beyond ourselves to the cross of Jesus, just as Jesus was pointing to the cross when he washed dirty feet. Our actions are meant to be signposts or, or parables uh, of Jesus' death on the cross. You can even say sacraments, sacraments of Jesus' great love for us. Now, in big and small ways. Now, you, you read uh, in, in church history about some of the big ways, and people are still offering their lives uh, as a sacrifice in, in big ways, even giving their lives in, in martyrdom. Peter, Peter did let Jesus wash his feet, and um, he went on. Uh, his life changed to, to offer his life on the cross. Tradition says he was crucified upside down because he didn't count himself worthy to be crucified in the way that Jesus was. So he he died for Jesus in Jesus' church, the Apostle Paul. His life was changed by that cleansing that Jesus brought in his life. And Paul writes about uh, offering his life as a drink offering. His life was being poured out even into death. And for us, it may not look like martyrdom, you know, but we're to pour our lives out all the same, sometimes in very ordinary daily kind of ways. And um, turning from ourselves to, to other people's needs. You know, the way you interact with people at the store. You know, extending patience is a wonderful way to wash one another's feet. You know, patience with one another. A listening ear at, at school, at work, at home. And being attentive to the people you're with and, and, and their needs seems like a first step to, to serving. Always having that posture of a servant. For me, when I think about um, kind of a, garden variety way that I I try to do that, um, is at the end of a a long day, I I like to end the day uh, kind of horizontal reading a book, you know, and that lasts for about five minutes. But, um, you know, I just, I've been talking all day and I just want to kind of get in a book and my wife, Sharon, I've got a a wife, 16 years, two kids, uh, seven and 11. My wife, Sharon, has been with the kids, you know, and everything and she wants to talk. She's kind of there, you know, wanting to talk, actually. Can you believe that? About the day. And, and I'm just, uh, and so I know that one of the ways I need to serve my wife is um, to when my heart of hearts tells me it's the right to set that book down and listen and talk about the day. That's a way that I can wash my wife's feet. And because as people, um, we have this, this drive almost to meet our own needs first. That's our humanity showing up, you know? Um, But when we have that sense on the inside that I need this or I need my time, my alone time or whatever, we do need that, right? I'm not saying we don't need those times of rest and refreshment, but we need to picture the Lord with his basin and towel and how he put the needs of his disciples first, how he put our needs first. And that's not always easy. Sometimes it's like pulling teeth because we don't always want, to serve one another. You know, it was the same back then in that that upper room. The disciples, we have the sense sometimes that they were just this wonderful band of of brothers and sisters and, and they just always got along and had the campfires and, you know, sing kumbaya and just always happy and and not irritating one another. But they did. They got on each other's nerves like any group of, of people. In fact, the, the gospel of Luke is writing about the same uh, meal in the upper room, and maybe Jesus had just washed their feet, and and, and it says they're fighting about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, can you believe that? Jesus washing their feet, and they're fighting about who's going to be the greatest. I mean, that sounds like us, doesn't it? You know, but Jesus is going to teach them about real greatness. That real greatness is about living a servant kind of life. And conflicts and bickering continue today in all shapes and stripes, you know, and forms. And we we tend to hold on to our perceived rights and entitlements. We don't like people to trespass on our stuff or our lives, to cross our, our lines. And Jesus says to us, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger. The word is apostle in the Greek. It's apostle greater than the one who sent him. And, and you see, with Jesus' first disciples, they were getting ready to be sent out into the world on mission. Jesus would be gone physically. They didn't know kind of what would happen after that. And they were going to be sent out in mission to be apostle foot washers. And, and the jockeying for position, the serving um, themselves first was not going to cut it in the mission of Jesus out in the world. And the bickering and, and competition between Christians and churches are, are not, doesn't cut it in our lives as well. And, and so this is one of the things that, one of the reasons I'm so thankful for the Church Without Shoes. Uh, and um, because there is this real effort to come together first, not just to do stuff together. That, that happens. But to, to be together first. In fact, the whole thing started together by pastors just getting to know one another. And relationship. And when pastors started to love one another, um, then, then the mission and the doing stuff comes out of that. But there's this effort to break down competition and to break down, you know, that I'm, I would be so happy if somebody came to First Presbyterian Church and, and said afterwards, you know, this wasn't really my cup of tea. You know, maybe I, I, there's a little offense, of course, but I would be happy sending someone here. You know, or another church, you know, um, and and I think that's just a, a wonderful thing. Now you might have wondered how this group of churches, Church Without Shoes, got its name. You may know it's a funny kind of name, but John thirteen is the namesake passage. You know, um, disciples taking off their feet, shoes, <laughs> taking off their shoes. And the shoes look different, right? If we, I'm not going to have you take off your sh- shoes, but we all have different shoes, right? But we got the same feet. You know, we just have feet. And and so we take off our shoes, you know, receiving the grace of Jesus, washing our feet, and then, you know, church without shoes, then ex- going barefoot to, uh, to wash each other's feet in humility. And... um This fellowship has been such a a blessing to me, uh, and as I said, really a lifesaver. It's where I get a lot of life. And so on this pulpit swap Sunday, there's this effort we want to model that. And because as the community, the larger community, Martinez, Concord, Pleasant Hill, Walnut Creek, and beyond, you know, looks on at a group of pastors, a group of Christians, um, loving one another in humble, uh, radical, simple ways, they take notice. They take notice. In fact, our loving one another is the best mission strategy on Earth. No missionary agency could come up with any better strategy you know than just Christians loving one another and inviting others into that kind of orbit. Um, and that is the number one mission strategy of Jesus. And to our shame, too often, instead of churches coming together to serve and love one another, brotherly, sisterly love. They see the fighting and the denominational demarcations and all kinds of things like that to our shame. But as we grow and, and as footwashers loving each other more and more, the world will take notice, because people want love. People need to be loved, loved, and not just with an emotional love, but a costly footwashing kind of, of love. And radically, it's easy to wash your. Uh, uh, the feet of those you love very much where it's easy to love, you know, a wife or kids, you know, a spouse. But what about those that you've been hurt by? What about those you don't like? But it was happening right here. If you think about it, we read the text that Jesus knew that in Judas' heart, he was planning and scheming against him, betraying him. And if I were Jesus, if I would have been in that place, there's no way I would have wanted an enemy, someone who's going to stab me in the back, to be at the table with me. Yet Jesus is breaking bread with Judas, and he gets down, and he even washes his feet, maybe in a last plea to Judas, you know, to, to change. And so as we think about, you know, washing the feet of those who it's really hard to like even, Jesus sets that, that model. And so what if we regularly did that as a church, leaned into the, that blessing that Jesus promises when we wash one another's feet, what if we, you know, rather than be, being offended so quickly, we, we were quick to forgive and to receive forgiveness, to kind of walk in that freedom, that lightness of step, you know, where we're, we're not going to uh, be offended so easily. That we're, our first inclination is going to be to love and to lift up one another's needs before our own, you know, dreaming up creative ways to bless one another rather than kind of nurturing. And it's fun sometimes to nurture uh, criticism in your heart. But what if we were just as um, creative and thinking of ways to wash one another's feet? Jesus says we'll be truly blessed if we do this. So I want to um, thank you for just uh, providing all the hospitality with the many greeters that you have and all the, <laughs> all the just opening up your, your, uh, your life. For me this morning to be with you, it's, it's been a pleasure. and. Thank you for serving me in in, in this way. And now that I have in my mind's eye, Creekside, not just kind of a a, a name in my mind, I'll be praying for you that you experience everything that God desires for you because God's got good plans and a hope and a future for for you all and for the church in, in the valley.